When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. You like that hard T there, Jason? Certainly. Certainly. (laughs) And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions, of course, are going to come from you, as they always do. We'll give you some good old-fashioned advice, sometimes a little bit of tough love, but always love, no matter what. Oh, and horseplay. We're going to do some horseplay, too, probably. Now, Jordan, are you are you living in the 50s? Because I haven't heard horseplay since my grandfather yelled at me when I was playing in the yard in the 70s. Like, hey, cut that horseplay out, you kids. Get back in here and cook some potatoes. Is that up there with whippersnappers and get off my lawn? I thought horseplay was like a normal. Fr- I thought people still said that. I only think hipsters brought that back. Maybe that's how you how you got that in your lingo. But yeah, my grandfather used to say horseplay. You're trying to say I'm a hipster? What what else do I use that's hipster? I say knucklehead. A lot of people are like, whoa, haven't heard that since the 80s. Yep, knucklehead's another one. Yeah. For sure. It's a good one. There's no, there are very few ways can you call someone a dumbass and have them laugh, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you knucklehead. Oh, that's funny, even though I'm, because I'm stupid. All right, whatever. <laughs> Let's get away from that subject. People didn't come here for this, but they did come for some good advice. And something that actually went down at AOC HQ a few weeks ago, we had our social capital event. It's a live event. We do it every year for people who buy the social capital program, which is our program on networking and relationship development. So there's a bunch of guys, a bunch of gals in LA, flew in from all over the world to come to this program. Super fun. Me, AJ, Johnny, we all taught over two days We did some really fun drills and exercises. We went out. We had a good catered lunch. Well, not catered. We have a chef. Like the chef we have at our boot camps made us bomb food because that's how we roll down there at boot camp at the Art of Charm. And somebody asked me something about how they can get government bureaucrats to do something. This guy had flown in from Mexico, and he's in an industry. I won't mention it because I don't want to out anyone here. And Oscar, very great guy, nice guy, said... I'm dealing with these government bureaucrats. And I said, the only thing bureaucrats are really afraid of are bigger, stronger bureaucrats. And the example that I gave was so popular with the audience. I wanted to give it here. Jason, I don't know if you heard about this. I've been having, in the past, problems with TSA stealing my luggage. Have you ever had anything go missing because of TSA? I haven't, but I had a friend who lost several thousand dollars worth of camera gear because somebody went through his luggage and just pulled it out and put it back together like nothing ever happened. But it was just 10 pounds and $10,000 lighter by the time he got to uh, baggage check. That's terrible. And I don't know. Did that happen in America? Because that's pretty brazen. He was going to Newark Airport, and when he landed, he got his luggage, and it was uh, his his brand new Nikon went on walkabout. That sucks. And, And people have this happen all the time. I mean, I've had dumb stuff stolen. Where I'm like, that's gone? That isn't even worth anything. They're going to find out that this is something that only works with this. You know, they'll take like a, a dongle. I'm thinking you're morons. Okay. Oh, yeah, come on, people. But I've had people remove things like uh, back when I was in my 20s, they stole a hookah, which I don't even do anymore. I've had other weird battery chargers and stuff stolen. And, and it, look, I know what people are thinking. You just lost it. No. I put it in. I zipped it up. I might have even used it right before I got there, shoved it in my bag. And there's no note. There's no TSA took it because it's a hazard. It's just gone. 
and it was at the top of my bag. So I decided, and I tried to file complaints. Good luck there. Oh, good luck. Yeah, it's just like, oh, not going to happen. And I've had them break stuff like, hey, my laptop had a screen before I went through here, buddy. You know, uh, won't be checking that again. That was my own dumb fault. Who checks a laptop? I'm an idiot. I was going to say, yeah, come on. Nah, but it was it was broken in a way where it was like, okay, this was set on a table and then knocked off the table and then put back in the bag. I mean, it's not, this didn't get banged around in the bag. But nobody can help you. And they'll just take the locks off if you lock it. So what do you do? And so I asked a bunch of people for this, uh, about this, especially cops and law enforcement. And they said, you know what? I never had this problem. And I said, well, of course not. You're a cop. You know, you probably have all this cop stuff in there. And then it was like, ding. And so what I did was I bought a DEA jacket. It just says DEA. It's not even, it doesn't say police, nothing. It's not even, not even legit. I don't know. It's a freaking Halloween costume. It's one of those like crappy satin (laughs) snap on you know, raid jackets that you would get for your kid yeah. on Halloween or something. And I like put a 30, it, 30 cent windbreaker. By the way, the company that sells these galls is a law enforcement supply company. And look, don't pose as a cop or a law enforcement agent of any kind. If you do, I hope you get arrested. But it's not illegal in any way to have something in your bag that you never wear for any other reason. Ahem, please. To scare off, jack off robbers or people that are going to go through your stuff. And so I take it, I fold it neatly with the DEA logo facing upwards. So when you open the suitcase, it is unmistakably the first thing that you see. And this is like, I have never had any issue at all after this. Because I can imagine some... 25 grand a year, or even whatever this, you know, a lot of people work for TSA are young. A lot of them, this is their first job or they're getting back into the working world from something else. It's uh, at the lower levels of baggage search. It's not exactly a career that's in demand here. So these guys are thinking, huh, I could rob the other 300 people going on this flight or the other thousand bags I'm going to check today, or I can grab something from this DEA guy's bag. It's like, what do you think is going to happen? And it, they don't go, they don't go, this is a $12 jacket from Gulls. They just go, <laughs> uh, it's not worth it. The risk calculation in it. their heads is just like, ding, nope, next. If there's nothing in there that's sketch, next. And I just want to say that a lot of these guys aren't actually TSA. They are airline employees who are just basically what we call throwers who take your luggage and move it along. So what they do is they take a big pen and stick it in the zipper, and then you can spread it apart, open it up, pull anything out, and zip it back up. Common common thievery technique, if you didn't know that. Try it at home. It's pretty fun. Yeah. My tip, though, and this is an old one. This came from Bruce Schneier, a security expert, back in like 2010, I believe. Yeah, 2010, 2012. His trick was put a starter pistol in your luggage and claim it when you check your bags. Because what happens then is the airline put special tagging on it and special tape to make sure that it wasn't tampered with during the flight. Hmm. Because a a BB gun, a starter pistol, or an airsoft gun, you have to check. Hmm. And they have to treat it just like any other firearm. So for like 15 bucks, you can go buy a cheapy starter pistol at the sporting goods store, throw it in there, and have them like you know put the red tape on it. It has to be packaged like a normal gun, though. So you do have to have it in a hard case. Um, there's going to be a link in the show notes that uh, is from the TSA that's travel tips on how to travel with firearms. 
and they show you exactly what you have to do, but nobody's ever going to touch your luggage again. I would say that's a really good idea in a cheap insurance policy. If you have kids, skip the starter pistol. It's just too irresistible. <laughs> Stick with the jacket, $15, $25, whatever it was, of insurance against baggage theft. But you're right, yeah. If, you, if you're not traveling internationally, you can do the starter pistol. If you're traveling internationally, stick with the jacket only because you don't want to deal with trying to get a gun into Heathrow because you forgot, right? Because yeah. you leave it in your luggage and you've never fired it, right? Like, <laughs> Make sure that that is not a thing that you forget about in there, floating around in there somewhere. Because if you forget to declare it, you're in trouble. The jacket, you can always get away with it. Yeah, definitely. Even with an, even with an airsoft gun that's plastic, you still don't want to be... Oh, yeah, I forgot about that in there. Yeah, I forgot about (laughs) that. Oh, go ahead and throw that away. Sir, could you uh, please step in here with me? Thank you. Yes, for the next 12 days. Yes, your vacation is shorter or quicker, depending on how you look at it, doing less traveling. (laughs) All right, let's get into Fan Mail Friday. Jordan, I'm a 24-year-old straight female living in Baltimore. I'm single and have been using dating apps and sites off and on. One of my biggest pet peeves is when I start talking to someone and it becomes an interview. They don't even throw out a you question mark at the end of their answers about their work, schooling, adventures, or hobbies. It becomes one-sided and hard for me to continue a conversation. Is there a way I can encourage guys to give a little more back? Is it justified to just blow them off and find those few people that can provide a little more back and forth? Is there another way to approach this pattern? Thanks for your help. Gabby wants some gab. Love the name there, Gabby. Oh, wait, that one was mine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is funny because I can understand why I can just see myself doing this, talking about myself and being like, this is great. This went so well. And mm-hmm. that took me a while. I, I look, there's a couple tricks you can do with this. Uh, it doesn't mean the person's completely self-absorbed, but it, it's a good indicator. Ask them to tell stories about each of these things. Oh, how did you get that job? Oh, how did you get interested in that adventure? How'd you get started with that hobby? It'll get them talking more. I know this is counterintuitive, but they'll usually notice that. Somebody who's normal will say, oh, I just feel like I've been talking so much. What about you? I'm sorry. If they don't notice, then remember that they probably think you're amazing and you're so interesting because you're so interested in them. You're probably, Gabby's probably really good at making people feel great. And she's probably really popular because of that. And, uh, but look, I don't blame you for wanting others to take interest in you as well, especially on a date. That's usually a pretty good sign. So yes, you should be screening for the people who provide a little more back and forth. But remember this, just because somebody is a bit nervous and self-absorbed on a date does not mean that they're not interested in you or that they're like that all the time. I think a lot of times on dates, and I know this from firsthand experience, we're often nervous and we're trying to get the other person to approve of us. So we start qualifying ourselves, which means we say, oh, yeah, I work here. I do this. This is what I am interested in. They're they're letting you screen them. It just seems like a one sided conversation and that they're really selfish. But really, they're actually letting you screen them. They want to see if you approve of them. Does that make sense? It does. But it seems to me that she's asking about more on the side of the apps and the website. So I think this is the pre date run up. Where guys are like talking to her on the app and they're just saying, you know, they're just giving their qualifications like a resume and not even asking about her and giving a back and forth. Okay, I didn't pick that up, but you may be right. Maybe she is talking about just inside the app. Okay, this is a controversial thing here, but I'm a fan of just meeting up in person. And I know that guys and gals think differently on this some of the time. But here's my logic. 
You can talk with somebody for 12 hours in a dating app in, or longer, and you can meet up with them in real life for the first time. And I'll never forget this. Years and years ago, like a decade ago now, I met this girl online. So funny. We had tons of fun talking with each other. We used to do these movie dates because I was so deep into Art of Charm. I was working constantly. So on late at night, she was in a different time zone. I could just chat with her on the phone or on Skype, actually, while watching some movie that we both downloaded. And we would just talk through it and hang out and chat. And it was so fun. And I thought, this girl is so great. And then I flew up to visit her. And I was in, immediately not interested anymore because I'm a, I just couldn't do it. It just was not my type at all. And it's not like I didn't know what she looked like. She didn't lie in her pictures. It was just one of those things where I just thought like, oh, she's pretty. She's exactly what she looks like. The personality is still totally there. There's just absolutely zero chemistry, kind of, right? Maybe Or there's 10% chemistry or 50%, but it wasn't enough to keep me interested for that much longer. And I just ended up staying friends with her, but she was really hurt, obviously, as a result of this. And, and that friendship went down the drain because she had different expectations. This is an extreme example, but I would say a lot of people spend so long talking on these apps. Bear in mind, if you're talking with mm -hmm. some guy on this app, he doesn't really know if he's interested in you. So he's giving you a chance to learn about him and see if you want to meet up. But man, there's so many people talking in, in these apps that it doesn't really make sense to engage and invest three hours in it. And I, I'm wondering yeah. if Gabby is new to dating apps where she's like, oh, I just started a couple weeks ago. And of course, I'm interested in talking with all these people that I'm interested in. And, and, and if you've been on these apps for months and months and months, you're just like, here's my thing that I say. If they answer, cool. I try to meet up within the same week. If there's chemistry, rinse and repeat. If not, ghost. And that's how these apps work. So it almost sounds to me like if she's mentioning only, if she's only talking about in-app stuff, she's probably putting in way too much effort before actually meeting up with somebody. And I understand this because if I were a single female in Baltimore, I don't know if I'd want to meet up with strangers all the time before having a good get-to-know-you chat. So you need to rethink your strategy here. If indeed you are talking about in-app stuff, you should meet up briefly after you just feel comfortable enough with them to do so. And yeah, a lot of these guys are probably just like, look, I'm here to hook up. I don't care about your hobbies. And that's how you're gonna screen for somebody who's interested in more because they might actually take the time of day to do this. On the other hand, it's a balance. You could easily talk with that person a ton and he's met up with 16 other women in the time that it's taken you to get comfortable with him. And that could be your loss at that point. And yeah, he could not be asking you about your story because he's texting 17 other people on Tinder just trying to set up a hookup. But I, th I think what it comes down to sometimes is, you know, t like what you talked about in the beginning about talking to this girl online and then finally going to meet her. Talking online and meeting, and meeting in person, those are two different skill sets. You know, you can talk to somebody for years online and have the greatest relationship and then in person, you just it doesn't work. You know, like some people are good in person and some people are good online. And also, like you mentioned, sometimes the chemistry just isn't there. You just get in the same room and it's just like eh, a little bit off, not really into it. You know, yeah, so I, I like your advice of just getting get, you know, getting to meet space quickly. It doesn't mean you have to hook up. It just means like get in the same room and actually talk mm -hmm. because like, you just like, yeah. like we like we used to do in the old days. Yeah. Back in the day. And that dating was easier or is easier now in terms of quantity, but it's harder to screen because you have less to go on and people's attention spans are shorter. All right. Next up. Hey, Jordan and Jason. I love people and I love connecting with them. I can't help but walk into a room full of people with a smile on my face and a warm handshake. 
I know a lot of different people in my community and beyond from different industries, professions, and personal circumstances. I connect with people easily, which makes me good at my professional adventures and has brought me a lot of personal success, which I take as a privilege and make sure to give back to community through money and volunteering. I'm a confident presence in a room or in front of a large audience and speak with a large amount of credibility. Just, See where I'm going yeah, with, what, right? what are you doing right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm viewed as being good with people, which I'm sure I am, or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I just had to put that whole preamble in there because it was so great. Sheesh. Now, here's where we get to the meat. People think because I'm good with people, I must love being around people. But the reality is I'm a mistaken extrovert. People burn me out on the inside. The moment I'm done smiling, socializing, and working a room, I'm completely exhausted and need to be alone. As you know, relationships take effort to maintain, and so I can easily spend dumb amounts of hours going for coffees and keeping up with my connections. I cringe when I get a business card and someone says, let's go for coffee. I know I need to prune my network, but I'm unsure how since this network has ensured that I haven't been without a client for many years. Fellow professionals are amazed I'm never out of work. And I believe that's because of having kept my relationships alive and well. I moved towards holding group events and connecting people within my network with one another. The first one is coming up, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes. The small group part of the evening sold out within a day, and the free-for-all afterwards is filling up. But this only mitigates and doesn't avoid the problem of my network being too large for me to effectively take care of with my current tools. So a few questions you might consider. First. I know I need to prune the shrub on this network, but where do I begin? Some of these people are like the ham sandwich my mom made for my lunch as a kid, and I'd rather it molds in my locker than get thrown out. That's okay. a strange analogy, yeah. but I'll, we'll go with it. Second, are there some approaches I can use to maintain my large network, but focus on the more meaningful relationships first while simply maintaining the others? And third, perhaps I'm not leveraging my network enough to provide value to others and myself. Rather than shrink it, perhaps I need to increase the value from it, and if so, any thoughts on how to do that? Much appreciated. Mistaken extrovert. Wow. Okay, speaking of qualifying yourself, I feel like this guy really went to great pains to make it known that he is actually good at this, but an introvert. I got it. He's <laughs> Yeah, we get it. You're really good with people. Yeah, yeah. No, it. I understand, though, because he wants to be clear that he's not afraid of people, that he's not actually that shy. He just, it takes a lot out of him, and that's fine. That's normal. A lot of introverts do the same thing, myself included. It's a natural case of introversion and the results on, the, the results, how that manifests itself socially. Introverts are just as good, if not better, socially. It's just that they don't feel relaxed and energized by doing it. They feel whipped by doing it so congratulations you're really good at playing social and being social and it's not fake but when you get home you're beat and that is completely normal and you build it up like a muscle by the way the reason i put this in here is because i want to point this out as for for people who are sending us questions in the future that was a lot of qualification up front mm -hmm. talking about why you're an you're an introvert in an extrovert's body as it were the questions have absolutely nothing to do with extroversion and introversion I noticed that. You could literally skip the whole beginning. We could, but I wanted to point this out for people who are sending in questions to kind of say, hey, let's get to the meat of it. Yeah. You know, because sometimes we have to we have to let the peoples know that let's get let's get to where we gotta go. No problem. Get this train let's get this train on the tracks. Let's track. get the train on the tracks, exactly. So the questions have nothing to do with that. I, I wanted to make a note 
about that, though. I think a lot of introverts think, oh, since I'm tired after this, I shouldn't do it. It's kind of like saying, well, since I'm tired after working out, I should stop doing that. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Here's how, The questions are easy enough to answer. Use contactually. I know I talk about this a lot, but it is great. If you want to prune the shrub on the network, contactually is great for doing that. It's also great for putting people in buckets. They've got the bucket game, and I know I talked about this recently. You get your email contacts flying across your screen and you hit X for get rid of it. It doesn't delete your email contact. It just doesn't bucket in. And then you put them using keys into other buckets. And what these buckets are are like things like follow up every 90 days, former guest on the Art of Charm podcast, personal friend. And these buckets have different timers on them. And the timers are like 21 days, 90 days, every six months, uh, once a year. And it'll pop up on your dashboard and contactually and say, hey, you haven't spoken with Jason DeFilippo in 21 days. Send him an email, da, 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 or did you text him and we didn't see that, all that kind of thing. And you can choose different types of engagement. So you can have a bucket that says call this person because they're a close friend of yours and you haven't spoken with them in, in three weeks. And then you go, oh, right. And so you end up with these different buckets for different actions in different timelines, email versus text versus call depending on how close you are with the person. Email, less close, text, medium to neutral, calls for people that you know will be interested in talking with you by phone. And this also makes a lot of sense to have different people at each level of your network. In social capital, at theartofcharm.com slash social, by the way, this is our our flagship sort of development of relationships, networking product, whatever. This is the product where we did the live event last week. In Social Capital, we talk about connecting people in the network to each other. So it sounds like part of why you're exhausted is you feel like you have to go out for coffee with these people. You have to really commit to helping them. You don't have to do that. Connect other people to each other. If you know somebody who's starting a business and needs a website and you also know a graphic designer, use the double opt-in intro. I've talked about that before. And if you don't know what that is, you can find that also in Social Capital. Do one intro per week, then move up to three. And I know you're thinking, how am I going to find three people in my network that I already know who need to meet up with each other? The actual purpose of this exercise is you have to rack your brain to do it. And so you start figuring out how you're going to knock out those three intros, racking your brain to connect spokes in your network. That's how you develop the reflex of thinking who you can connect to whom, right? Oh, okay, I have to do three. Oh, right, this person's starting a business. Who do I know? What happens when you need to start a business? Oh, right, you need a website. Do I know a website designer? I do. Okay, dot, 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 let me reach out to these two and see if that's going to work. That's It forms the little neural pathway that says, start thinking about how you can introduce other people. That reflex will fire faster and faster, and eventually, as soon as you meet someone in real life or at an event or whatever, one of your first thoughts will eventually be, who can I connect them to using the double opt-in introduction and add value to both? Then you're not stuck like, oh, I've got this shoebox full of cards, and they all want to go have coffee, and ugh. You can actually just, as soon as you meet someone, say, oh, I know who you should meet, and you can make the introduction that day, and you'll be knocking these things off, and eventually, if you're in sales or a business where you have to network a lot, you're going to be introducing people like every day, and it's going to get a lot easier, and you're going to build that social muscle, and you won't have to do as much in real life hanging out with people for coffee because they gave you a business card at World of Concrete in 98 which is exhausting for anybody, extrovert or not. You can find more about Social Capital at theartofcharm.com slash social as well if you're interested in that. Or just grab some of the free stuff. We also have Masterclass, which is a little toe in the water for some of that stuff as well. 
Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Jason, next. Hi, guys. So I have a dilemma. For the better part of a decade, I worked towards certain goals in my life, sacrificing a lot of time and effort into learning my craft and building a career. I started a business and it went well for a while, then it crashed and burned. After that, I had no money, no job, was in debt, and went into a deep depression. When I was at rock bottom, I told myself that I never wanted to be there again and began to work to dig myself out of that hole. Several months later, projects that I worked on years ago started to bring in a lot of residual income. I was able to pay off business debt, got a great job, hustled on new projects, met my wife, and we were about to close on a house and go on our honeymoon. So life is good. During that time of reinvention and growth, I wasn't able to do some of the things I used to do with many of my friends. I just didn't have the time, and we grew apart. Now I feel like they resent me in some sort of way for my success that I worked so hard for, and even feel a little bit guilty that things aren't like they were in the past. Are these feelings of guilt normal? Any insight would be appreciated. Thanks for all you do on the show. I learn so much every week. Signed, Friendless in Seattle. All right, Friendless in Seattle. I think it depends on what you mean by, is this normal? It depends on what you mean by normal. You are normal for feeling these feelings, and your friends are also normal for having those feelings. It's well within the range of normal. I would ask, though, how do you know they feel that way? I think this this smacks to me of internal dialogue where it's like, oh, my friends aren't calling me as much. They must resent my success when really you haven't hung out with them in a year. So maybe they're just thinking, well, friendless in Seattle's kind of busy. So I'll let him call me when he's done with his thing. I know he wasn't feeling so good and he was working on his business. Does he maybe resent their lack of success? Yeah, that could be it too. Like, oh, they resent me. Why? Well, they're kind of short with me. Well, you've ignored them for a year. Are you sure it's that they resent your success or that they feel like you ditched them? There could be a few reasons yeah. going on here, you know? Uh, you might Definitely. I, I, that's what I'm saying. I think people, I know people create stories in their own heads. This could be a story you're creating in your own head. Have you spoken to them about this is the key. If someone says, 
I resent that you're successful or treats you poorly and is like, why don't you go home and hang out in your fancy house? Then there's a pretty good indicator that they resent you. But if they're not talking like that, then I, I don't know. I'd love to see the evidence here. However, I do propose a solution to getting past this if you're interested, which is I think you should have one-to-one meetings with each of these people that you care to have back in your life. You can do it over coffee. You don't have to do it over drinks. You don't have to do it over a meal, whatever, if you want to. You can keep it low commitment if you think it's going to be better for them and you and they'll show up or whatever. And explain your issues. Explain your depression. Explain your struggle if you feel comfortable sharing all of those things. And if they resent you for that, then that's fine. It's on them. It doesn't make them bad people, but it also doesn't make them very understanding people, I would say. And even if you did neglect them and they do resent you for it, then it's okay. You've outgrown each other. That's kind of what that means, actually. And I think most people would understand where you are coming from, even if they don't trust you right away on this. I think these friends, these former friends, whatever, might be like, well, you know, you've been out, gone for a while, and you are going to have to do some work to be proactive in these relationships to get people back in your life. But I think a lot of them might understand where you're coming from. And a lot of them won't. And oh, well, you know, you made some choices in your life. It sounds like they were the correct choices for you at that time. I can't say I would do anything different anyway. I would definitely work my way back up, meet the girl of my dreams, get married, and then worry about other things later, probably. And now you get to enter a phase where you try to repair the collateral damage. Collateral damage doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just means something suffered during the process. So in other words, I think you're both right and you've made your bed in your own house with your new wife, congratulations, and now you work together to make that bed more comfortable. And if your friends want to jump in that bed, great, then if not, that's fine too, and oh my God, I've ruined that analogy pretty bad. <laughs> I was going to say, well, that, that, uh, escalated that, that escalated quickly. That escalated quickly, but I hope this is <laughs> helpful, and congratulations on pulling yourself out of a tough spot. Really, that's that's more important, I think. I wouldn't second-guess the choices. It sounds like you did the right thing. Now, could you have maintained those friendships during that time? Yeah, maybe, but you didn't, so I wouldn't worry about it. All right, let's talk to this next guy who has the brilliant idea to ask out somebody he sees every day. Hey, Jordan, I love the show and have been implementing the advice one piece at a time. One piece of advice that has turned into a passion was improv classes. Since you recommended them, my life has only gotten better. It's helped with anxiety, self-deprecating thoughts, and is a whole lot of fun. I've developed feelings for a person in my class. She's hilarious, an incredibly intelligent microbiologist, and a few years younger than me. But she's also the teacher. Ah, killing me. I would love to ask her out, but I can't help but feel that it would be inappropriate, considering we are stuck in the same place for hours every week. How would you recommend going about this? Should I bite the bullet and give it a shot? Or should I suck it up and look for someone else? Does the advice, don't dip the pen in the company ink, apply here? I look forward to hearing from you. Regards, Pen Seeking Ink. Okay, well, it's funny that he asks this because it's really not the company ink, but any time that you decide to inject sexual tension and act on that sexual tension in a social setting, you are taking a risk. I'm not saying you shouldn't take that risk. I'm just saying there's always a risk there and it can ruin situations that were otherwise pretty good. So the question you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to ruin improv class and every your relationships with everyone in it because you might have to leave? She's a teacher, she doesn't have to go anywhere. She, if things don't work out, she can say, please don't sign up for my class again. And you should respect that. So are you willing to ruin improv class and ruin that relationship with her potentially? That's the question. 
So imagine the worst case scenario there. That's what you should say is more likely to happen. Because, of course, whenever I ask this, guys are like, oh, yeah, but or I'm banging the improv teacher, bro. And it's like, uh, yeah, let's let's go with one percent chance of success, 99 percent chance of failure. And, and that's not really an accurate stat, of course. But I'm saying, what if that it's probably ninety nine point nine? Yeah. Point one. But who knows? <laughs> who knows? It could be 50 50. But the consequences have to be measured up. That's why it's never wise to dip the pen in the company ink, because even if there's only a one percent chance that something goes wrong, that's your job and your career. So the the risk is too high. It sounds like you really love the people in this class. You really love improv. Do you really need to do that? I, I, I don't really get this. So my solution here is go out as friends. You can go out in a group and you can build the beginnings of that relationship with her and test the waters without risk. So if there's no chemistry, if she's not that interested, if you go out a few times as a group with all the other improv people and then you say, hey, why don't we get dinner sometime? And she's like, oh, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd rather just sort of stay friends. You can be like, hey, totally cool. No big deal. And then you can get on with it. And since you have a history of hanging out in a group, it doesn't have to be like, oh, there's the guy that I rejected. You can literally just forget about it. She's not interested. Fine. It's much better that way. Trust me. You have to build this platform that you can go back to. Otherwise, you have no social standing to return to other than the class, and it's going to be like, oh, God, there's that guy that asked me out. So if you go out a few times and then you say, hey, let's catch dinner or do something alone, and she goes, actually, you know, I'd rather just keep it pro because, you know, I've had bad experiences with this. You can say, actually, that's pretty wise. Maybe we shouldn't do that. You're right. Oh, well, cool. No problem. And then you can go to class and you can forget about it, and you guys can flirt all you want then, too. It's not worth it. If you ruin this opportunity for you, you're going to be kicking yourself and going, why did I do that? Especially when you can slow play it, become friends first, and if if it's going to work out, then it'll work out and everything will be fine. It's just going to take longer, and most people don't want to hear that. They want to figure out how to get it now, but uh, that's not how it works. Oh, and also you asked if you can reference Art of Charm in an app you're building later on in the letter. Yes, you can reference, anyone can reference Art of Charm in a positive way, especially, Anytime they want. You don't have to ask me permission to that. You don't have to ask me permission to link to the show or share the show or download the show and put it on CD-ROMs and share it. I don't care. Just don't charge for it because it's a Creative Commons license, and I don't want people doing commercial stuff with my free stuff. How's that? All right, next up. Hey, Jordan. A few years ago, I had to change jobs, and for context, I'm in my 30s. As part of my networking strategy, I'd invite old colleagues and classmates to lunch, and we'd catch up on life and discuss my job search. Every lunch went great. At the end, they'd thank me for inviting them out and suggest we do it again sometime. I'll tell them to give me a call anytime they'd like. Several months later, we'd repeat the process almost exactly. During the same period, I'm getting lunch or beers with other colleagues, and the same pattern repeats. I set up the thing, it goes well, but it's always me initiating. Then I start to realize that the same pattern occurs in my non-business and social life as well. If I don't organize something, 99% of the time, nothing happens. When I do organize something, people show up and enjoy themselves. Also, they keep showing up to repeated events. In that same period, I'll see them doing other things on Facebook with other friends. And perhaps the other friend is the organizer of those things. I don't know. A friend once joked that society exists to tell you that your head is on fire. I never heard that. I have never heard that either. Yeah. That's a, it's an interesting one. AKA, we don't notice when we're the asshole. I, that's a stretch from head on fire to yeah, the asshole. Yeah, sure is. Okay. Went there. <laughs> Not escalated quickly once again. Yeah. Exactly. I'm getting mixed signals from literally everyone in my life. On one hand, people show up. 
They don't have fake excuses. They don't ghost me. They enjoy themselves and they express interest in seeing me again. On the other hand, people rarely call me for things. I'm the initiator 99% of the time. Am I an asshole or other people just lazy? Signed, Ian the Initiator. Well, Ian, it's impossible to get into someone else's head. And a great way to get depressed is to think that you can read other people's minds and then create a narrative around it. Trust me, I have a lot of experience thinking I know what other people are thinking and having it drive me effing crazy, and it's, a, it's not nice. It's not a good way to be. The feedback you're getting is actually pretty good. In the scheme of things, people are showing up, people are expressing interest in doing things again, and people are answering your communication. So congratulations, you're in like the 90th percentile of friendships with a lot of these people. And the truth is, many people don't organize things. Many people. I've got a huge group of really busy friends here in Silicon Valley that are very proactive in organizing things, but I haven't had this in my entire life. This particular circle is full of great social people and a lot of women, which has helped a lot because they're more keen to organize. I don't know what that is. They're just more organized people in general, especially in my circle. And I also think it took me three and a half decades of filtering to find people who were like me and that they cared enough to keep in touch with friends and colleagues. And this is unusual as far as I understand it. So don't take this personally. Keep filtering. Keep your network rocking. And remember, these people may in some ways be thoughtless in the moment, but I don't know. I, I find it doubtful that they would be doing this on purpose. It's very possible they think the relationship with you is excellent. And I would only start to worry here if you had no close friends and you felt lonely because of that. But that's not really what I'm hearing here. So I think you might be doing just fine and you're just not used to the way these people interact. And also, if you're having a similar problem and you moved to a coast or into a career circle or an industry where people are much busier and lead more hectic lives... I've done that. I moved from the Midwest, Detroit area, to New York and then to L.A., and it just made my head spin with how insane everything is, how busy people's lives are, the culture of the city was different, how little people interact, even with some of their close friends sometimes, because they got so much stuff going on. I remember me, AJ, and Johnny had a housewarming party in Hollywood, and we had talked to a bunch of—we just moved there. And all of, all of these people had taken us out to dinner and done things separately. And we're like, let's just invite all these cool people to a housewarming party. I invited a bunch of people. One of them showed up. The rest of my friends were like, hey, I'll take you out sometime. Da, da, da. The other guys, no one showed up. We invited like 25 people and one or two, I can't remember, one or two people showed up. That was it. And it's typical Hollywood. I was going to say, this is Hollywood, man. The fact that one or two people showed up. That's a win. Yeah, it's, <laughs> that really is a win. It is so hard to get people out in those big cities to actually get off their butt on the weekends. I forgot all about it because we were so new and green and we'd been hanging out a lot. Mm. So we just thought like, wow, we have a lot of friends. And we did have a lot of friends. They just couldn't make it to one thing. But we saw them out all the time and they would call us and we would hang out and make plans. You just couldn't get a volume of people to do it. And I remembered this. I was reminded of this at the Social Capital event because she came, the one of the people who I invited came to the event and was like, yeah, you learned about L.A., you know, blah, 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 blah. We had a lot of cancellations. And then she's like, remember when I came to your house warming and it was just me and that other guy or girl? I can't even remember who it was. And she couldn't either. And we were laughing about that because I just thought, oh, my God, what was I? What were we thinking having a housewarming party and inviting? What were we even thinking? And we just felt like such losers because <laughs> this is like 2009 <laughs> or whatever. 
You know, it was so long ago. We just had no idea of the flake factor in Hollywood. It was so insane. That's a rite of passage when you move to Los Angeles. When you invite people to your barbecue or your party and nobody shows up, you get to learn what the excuse matrix is. Because like, everybody has their own excuses. And then you can tell later on down the line when people are lying to you because they just don't feel like leaving and sitting in traffic. Yeah. It's so funny. And I get it. I, I definitely was one of those people in L.A. except for instead of just not showing up, I would go... Hey, that's really far. So I don't think I can make it. It's going to take me like 90 minutes to get there. Is it important to you? And if they're like, no, it's cool. It's, just my, it's a birthday thing. A bunch of my friends are coming. I just thought it'd be fun. And I'm like, it does sound fun. But in order to go there and then drink and then I get back, it, it would. It, I just can't do it. And they go, yeah, no problem. Cool. I just wouldn't lie and go, yeah, totally. And then never show up because I feel like it's such a dick move. That's the sign of a mature Los Angelino when you just say, Nah, I'm not going on the four or five that time of day. Exactly. Have a good party. I'll see you next time. I learned that living in New York. Hey, I'm having a party. Where is it? It's in Brooklyn. Uh, it's in Brooklyn on a weekday. Not doing it. It's gonna. It's just too far. I can't do it. Jersey City, no. And you become this location snob, and it's not really snobbery. It's I'm not riding the metro that far at that point and coming back at night. It's just a pain. <laughs> or dangerous. I love you, but I don't love you that Yeah, much. and usually people don't care. What they, what they do care is when you go, yes, I'll be there, and then you flake. It's just better to be honest. Trust me on that one. Jeez. All right, let's go to the next guy here who wants to learn how to close a sale. Hey, Jordan, longtime fan. I've been listening to the podcast for almost three years now, and it has been phenomenal. I've tried taking many lessons and applying them to my own personal life, and it has helped me in more ways than you could ever imagine. My dilemma isn't personal, though. It's work-related. I work in sales, and recently I started a new job, and it's great. The opportunity is fantastic, and I'm learning so much. But my problem is that I'm struggling to close sales. I haven't had this obstacle before, and for a long time, I even identified as the guy that closed sales. I'm in a new environment with a different caliber salesperson, and maybe I'm just feeling insecure. Do you have any tips on how to close a sale? Best regards, guy who can't close. All right, guy who can't close. Very original, but he does have a foreign name, so I don't expect too much wordplay <laughs> when I see that. I learned sales the hard way, and I got really good at it. I, there's, I know that sounds arrogant. I don't care. I sold millions of dollars worth of products. I learned sales by listening to crappy quality, not quality of information, qu crappy quality in terms of this is a mp3 version of a cassette tape that had been in a drawer for probably two decades there's this guy tommy hopkins i don't even know if he's still around tom hopkins goes by tommy hopkins and i think he was like a typewriter salesman or something and his anecdotes are in they're so useful and they're on cassettes and i can't remember how i got them i got them off of BitTorrent. i literally had to steal them because you could not order them anywhere they were impossible to find they were so good. And then Zig Ziglar tapes on sales, they're very basic, probably for an advanced sales guy, but I find a lot of salespeople don't understand a lot of Zig Ziglar's sales basics. Those are easier to find. They're very affordable and overlaps with the Art of Charm content a lot. So if the way that we do things here resonates with you, Zig Ziglar is old as that stuff is. It is very, very valid. He was kind of one of the original help enough people get what they want and you'll get what you want kind of guys, which works great for sales. There's also some more modern stuff. I love this show for salesmen. It's called The Brutal Truth on Sales and Selling. I've been on there. I've had those guys on Art of Charm before. These guys practice what they, practice what they preach, and they know what they're doing. 
They do a great job. They're in the field. They're not just like, hey, we create media for salespeople. This is an actual salesman. A lot of the episodes, I think, are recorded in his car on the way to sales calls. I spent a lot of time absorbing all this stuff. I spent a lot of time doing phone sales and selling in person. And I got, like I said, really good at it. I sold millions of dollars in product. And this is a process where practice makes all the difference. You just can't learn a bunch of academic stuff about sales. You got to learn what people, why are people saying that? What do they mean when they say that? When they say this, what does this mean? Does it mean what they say or is it a different kind of signal? And you can also hire sales coaches, although I don't have any personal recommendations. Most of the guys I see teaching sales now on YouTube seem like total clowns. I'm not gonna mention any names there. But I would start with Brutal Truth and look around for Tommy Hopkins. You might find digitized cassettes someplace or borrow from an old sales guy. Uh, You can also take a Dale Carnegie sales course if you can find a franchise that teaches one, but that was super basic. If you've never sold before, Dale Carnegie sales course, not a bad place to start. If you've been selling stuff for years and you're going up in the ranks, you might find it a little limited in scope. But sales is one of the best ways to get to know how people tick. That's why there's so much in the show, the Art of Charm podcast that overlaps with sales skill sets because, man, I'm telling you, this stuff is... So powerful. I don't know if there's a more powerful skill set for sales other than the art of charm. And I don't know if there's a more powerful skill set for learning how people tick than sales. Does that make sense, Jason, or is that confusing? Yep, that totally makes sense. And coming from a sales family, that's kind of why I resonate with what we do here at The Art of Charm. Yeah, I mean, you can be a salesman who knows how to do high pressure and stupid stuff, and you see these guys on YouTube like, I called this guy 87 times, and he finally, da 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 Everyone hates those people. They don't get repeat business most of the time. You know, it's just like this annoying, they get sued a lot for harassment. It's just stupid. You're not going to do that in retail. You're not going to do that anywhere if you want long-lasting relationships and repeat business. So learn how to sell through relationship. There's also there's a lot of relationship sales techniques that are going to be so good for you. So a lot of resources there. Let me know what you think. Definitely start diving into that stuff ASAP. And Documentary of the Week, Jason, man, all, everything I watched this week just sucked. I can't recommend anything <laughs> that I saw this week. Yeah, it's kind of the same here. I watched The Science of Fasting. These are my Netflix recommendations. Uh Because when you go to Netflix and you go to documentaries, sometimes there's things that look interesting, and then you give it a shot. But from the artwork or the description, you kind of know that what you're getting into is just kind of half-assery. So I tried The Science of Fasting because I've been a faster for 20 years, and it was okay. And then... I'm like, okay, well, you know, Kim Jong-un was in the news that day. So I went and I, I watched this uh, documentary called The Bomb, mm. which is the history of the nuclear bomb. It was really good for the first half, just going through the history of how we got there with the Manhattan Project and all that stuff. Very, like, you know, cursory top-level stuff. There were a couple of things that I'd never seen in there before. But in the end, it definitely didn't really hit home for me as a history buff and missed a bunch of stuff that I already knew. And I'm like, if I know it and it's not in there, then it's really not that great of a documentary. So they're not great. So avoid them if you see them. So this is our cautionary tale uh, episode of Documentary of the Week. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something to this. I I can't recommend. I was trying to do like, hey, let's pick something non-mainstream and ended up watching some documentary about this girl who's from Russia and she filmed her friend being sexually assaulted on Periscope and I was just like yawn. It was gross and I also just, it was just like a downer and I didn't learn anything. 
Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, and honestly, for the past two and a half weeks, I've been binge rewatching Battlestar Galactica from the beginning. Nerd with alert! All of the extras. So, kind of, kind of, you know, I've been, I've been in the BSG cloud, as it were. Right. You know, get back to work. That's all I have to say. This has all happened before. It'll all happen again. Is all I. Oh my say. goodness! All right. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that. I want to thank everyone that wrote in this week. Don't forget you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous. Of course, you can make up your own funny name or we can do it. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF146. Quick shout out to everyone who came to that Social Capital Mixer down in L.A. Like I said before, that ticket comes with the Social Capital program. It was really fun meeting all the folks there. Social Capital events are unisex. I do a little mini workshop on networking, nonverbal communication, body language. A lot of fun meeting people from the Social Capital VIP Slack chat as well. And if you missed it, don't worry. There will be another one next year as well. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit us up. We'd love to shout you out. Love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. I'm also on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. And I'm on Twitter at JPDef and Instagram at JPD. And as always, you can check out my tech news podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks. Just go to GOG.show to find out more. And don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. We're taking you step-by-step step at becoming better at making those personal and professional connections. A lot of drills and exercises like the things that you hear on the show here. A lot of practicals for both guys and gals. So check that out at theartofcharm.com slash challenge. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every week in L.A. with AJ and Johnny. If you really want to dig into this stuff, work on those AOC skills with AJ and Johnny as your coaches. That's at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Stay charming, get out there, and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.